Well, then it looks like our problems are solved. You want a cup of jaw with you? You really think it's a good idea to bring a Padawan learner into all this? Could you, Juanki? I'm Master Skywalker's Padawan. The name's Ahsoka Tano. You're a feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some respect. So, if you're a captain and I'm a Jedi, then technically I outrank you, right? In my book, experience outranks everything. Make yourselves comfortable. My master will be with you. Welcome to a very special edition of The Lighter Side of the Force. Uh, I am Amanda, and here today for Star Wars Podcasting Day, as well as the anniversary of The Phantom Menace. As such, I get to crawl out of my little pod, my Patreon comfort zone and go into the main feed. Mm, I got distracted there. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to a special edition of The Lighter Side of the Force. This is Amanda, and I am here crawling out of my Patreon comfort zone in honor of Star Wars Podcast Day as well as the anniversary of The Phantom Menace. I have brought on board Sarah number two. Hello. Those who are members of the Patreon will recognize her from a very special Christmas episode we did together. And it was such a delight. I knew I had to have her back again and again and again. <laughs> so we are both so excited to be here. Uh, as I just mentioned, I am... Amanda in charge of Patreon content for Clashing Sabers and for as little as $2 a month you can get some extra Star Wars content that I try really hard to put out there and have fun with and then for another $4 a month you can get some extra fandom bonus content as well mostly Marvel at this point but who knows Last Airbender is putting out a live action show soon might dip into those waters a bit. It is my absolute favorite animated series. So without further ado, let's get to our topic for today though. So first I'll introduce you to Sarah number two. We did this once before on the Patreon, but since we're main feed on this one, tell us your Star Wars story. So hi again, my name is Sarah. I, you know, just kind of grew up watching Star Wars and I, we love, you know, being neurodivergent and having those hyper fixations and I Obi-Wan Kenobi was always my favorite character and I was always really sad that there wasn't more content with him in it and so when the show came out uh I just kind of re-became obsessed with Star Wars and deep dived and here we are and for those who don't know I've told my story a million times it feels like so I'll try to cut it down uh old enough to have been a lifelong fan kind of I was born in 81, so put that in the timeline. But my parents weren't into it, so I came into Star Wars by way of The Mandalorian, fell in love, started watching everything chronologically. I had seen the movies before, but this was with new eyes. So I didn't stop with the movies, though. That chronological rewatch included Clone Wars, Rebels, books, comics, and now a podcast. So you could say I'm a fan at this point, I think. I, I, I think that qualifies you. I think that would be okay. <laughs> and loving every single minute of it, truly. Um, it is a great fandom to be a part of, as long as you seek out the light side. Yes. Yes, I've heard it. I've, I've 
obviously can't cite the source because I think it's a screenshot of a screenshot from something on Tumblr, but just kind of the idea that Star Wars is such a big enough uh, just entity of content without the fan-made stuff that you, it's almost like going to college where you have to choose a major of what you focus on in <laughs> Star Wars and that means that like if there's people that you don't like you don't have to be with them because the community is so big and diverse. I have experienced very little of the toxic side because I have chosen to seek out the the good side so um, you can do it and it's, it's, possible. it's great it's great. Um, okay, so today what we're going to do in honor of Phantom Menace, I've done something like this once before with another friend of mine, Gretchen, where we take fictional characters and we personality test type them using the Enneagram. And I thought I knew you know, enough about the Enneagram, and, and I'd say that's true, and then I ran into Sarah, who is probably a certified expert. So I'm going to let her give you the brief rundown of what this is that we're doing here. So I want to also disclaimer, one of my best friends is obsessed with personality tests. Every, I feel like every other month she's sending a new, you just, you get the link from her, you open it and you take it and you send her the results and it satisfies this urge she has. But the Enneagram was one that she discovered before it was popular and viral and so I've been aware of my Enneagram type for a while and so the second that Amanda mentioned this to me I was like I'm my mind was whirling but the idea of the Enneagram personality test is that it's kind of more so looking at the motivations a person has and then typing you based on those motivations so there's nine possible main types that regardless of the tests that you take um, there's a lot of online quizzes you can do you have like one main type that kind of just fits you most um, however within the Enneagram personality community which I'm on a Facebook page or two for there are people you can actually pay to professionally type you oh, wow. and it involves you like taking a video and putting together collages and it goes so much deeper than we're gonna go today and I yeah, I'm like a surface level expert with it in that I know about wings and I follow a couple Instagram accounts. I know wings exist and that's about it. So I've got my little toe in the waters compared to your surface yeah, level. I'm, I'm like waiting. I haven't, I haven't gone all the way into the deep end. So you will see that reflected in our conversation. I did not do the wings. I just did out of the main nine types. Uh, and she went, Sarah went into the wings, which I think will be a really fun discussion. I'm so ready. <laughs> All right. So let's get to it. Um, I think our lists are in different orders of people. So I'll let you go ahead and who are we going with first? Well, um, I kind of want to talk about Padme first. Okay. Uh, because I think we see a very interesting side of her in The Phantom Menace because it's our first introduction to her as a character. You know, if we're watching the movies and canon content in the order it came out, Padme is kind of a ghost. She's there in reference, but not named necessarily. And so Phantom Menace is really crucial in that first introduction we get to her. So I typed her as a three, personally, mm -hmm. which um, my favorite Enneagram website identifies that as the performer and describes threes as people who want to achieve great things they're charismatic and adaptable and in the list of potential careers threes tend to have lists politicians <laughs> right i actually put her as a three as well 
And I should also put a little bit of disclaimer. I know I tried really hard to stay with just the movie content in honor of Same. this anniversary. However, it's really hard when you have been exposed to the other content to not factor that in. And for some characters that we do, that we will be doing, we don't see very much of them. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, really hard to pull all those pieces apart. So you will see a little bit of other canon content kind of factor into some of my decisions, although I tried not to. Same. Like it, for Padme, I specifically tried to like let go of how I feel like she's characterized in the Clone Wars uh, series and focus specifically on the movies. Um, which still solidified the three. I think it, she is solidly a three. Mm -hmm. She was kind of easier than some of the other characters yep. were to pinpoint. Yep. Um, as far as wings go, I said she's a three wing four. So the way wings work with Enneagrams is you have your like primary personality type, but then there's like the two to either side of it. So a three is bordered by a two or a four. And it's kind of like, where do you fall? Because very few people are going to be a hundred percent one personality type. And as a three wing four, I really felt like that just kind of fit Padme more specifically than just the three because the four element um, kind of brings in, oh goodness, I lost my place on the webpage. Okay, it brings in some of those elements of being really ambitious and focused mm -hmm. and so Padme, I feel like as a character, especially in The Phantom Menace, she has that people orientation but also she's a little risky like she takes some risks and she doesn't always wait to do the like thing that's proper right. uh she does what's right and i think that some of that you know this is the right way this is my way comes in from that wing four element for her um and i don't know that i would say that she's necessarily afraid of failure like it describes three wing fours but i do think she like cares about succeeding because of the people she feels responsible yes. for yes i um what really got me in the description of a three is they're often class presidents or homecoming queens and i feel like between her role as queen and senator you've got the homecoming queen and the class president mm -hmm. right there somebody that people are drawn to yes and also are very dedicated to achievement so much so that they might put their own feelings in a box yes and i do think that she does she tries i'm yes. not sure how successful she was by the end but she's she's trying to make sure that she's always serving her people first mm -hmm. and i think like that's what we see in the decision she makes to um do that vote of no confidence for Chancellor Valorum and to help encourage her senator at the time, Palpatine, for which we know he orchestrated that, but also that was a hard decision for her. You see her struggle mm -hmm. with that internal conflict and make that decision because ultimately it's right for her people, even if it won't benefit the greater Senate mm -hmm. uh, and therefore by extension the Republic. And I don't know, I think what you know about Padme, like the even if you've not read the books about when she was becoming the queen and the whole like putting herself like pretending to be one of the handmaidens so she could get to know them and strengthen those bonds she is very self-sacrificing and it does end up causing problems sometimes <laughs> down the line but yes. i think it's a very core element of being a three 
The other thing I thought was interesting about threes is because they are so focused on achieving and often for the good of others that they end up not personally knowing what they want anymore. Mm, yes. Their lives are almost not even their own, which again, she was a queen at 14. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> yeah, and then a senator not long after. Right. Um, and something else too is that as part of the breakdown of Enneagram types is like how they are in relationships too. And I know mm-hmm. in Phantom Menace, she's not in a relationship as far as we see. Um, but something that like it lists as strengths that threes bring to those relationships is like a natural ability to communicate effectively, being optimistic and adaptable. And we see that past Phantom Menace, but then also some of the things that they may struggle with are acknowledging their role in a situation, which I think, you know, it, you have to kind of fast forward to Attack of the Clones, the second movie, but I feel like we see some of that, especially in her selflessness, that sometimes she kind of doesn't acknowledge or is in denial of how her attempt to help people sometimes causes more harm than good uh, because she's not willing to wait and let others do it. And so I think that like potentially that's part of, you know, her character flaws that plays a role in the greater Star Wars timeline. Well, and relationships aren't just the romantic ones either. Yes. So you can see some of that play out even in Phantom Menace. Yeah, very true. So. All right. I think we have that's Padme. Padme. <laughs> Not a lot to discuss, I suppose, when you agree. Yeah. But um, she's a great. It's fun complex, to agree, though, too. <laughs> yeah, and she's a wonderful, complex character. But she is one who does not have a lot of nuance to her. She's very straightforward. Right. right. So there's not. I don't think there's going to be a lot of disagreement about a character like Padme. Right. Qui Gon, on the other hand, I'm <laughs> very curious. <laughs> he was a hard one for me. <laughs> so go ahead. What did you come oh, up with? I, as I was like writing down my notes, I literally wrote down three different things that would erase and write and erase mm-hmm. and write. Mm-hmm. And I settled on a nine wing eight. And let me explain. So nines are kind of an interesting personality type. Um, my friend who got me into Enneagrams it hates nines with a passion, <laughs> but then realized she might actually have some nine in her. Oh, but no. Self-loathing. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> but the thing that I feel like fit Qui-Gon more than the nine specifically, but the nine wing eight, is that they prefer peace and their focus is on those peaceful interactions with people but they don't want to be separated from the world. They don't want to be disconnected. And I know that's probably uh, referencing like society and being disconnected, but I, you know, Qui-Gon being someone who's strong in the living force and who, you know, we hear Obi-Wan, I was rewatching Phantom Menace yesterday and <laughs> Obi-Wan's literally like another, like, what what's the phrase? Oh my, uh, stray or whatever. I just watched this last night. Mm. Um, something life form yeah what kind of life form anyway yeah but like Qui-Gon is kind of known by that point like we get these little interactions between him and Obi-Wan Kenobi and even the Jedi Council that reveals that Qui-Gon kind of adopts strays and doesn't really care what the world like what society has to say as long as balance is achieved because he's even he even tells Obi-Wan don't let your anxieties get ahead of you be here and in the moment um and there's I think that desire to be internally balanced is a very nine wing eight aspect and something that I really interest uh was interesting to me is that um 
part of nine wing eights supposedly is they avoid facing their own internal struggles by distancing themselves and i know it's not in the phantom menace as like i feel like you could i could make a well-crafted argument about how qui-gon's way of tackling this mission to keep uh padme safe and then free naboo kind of reveals it but when you read some of the books that kind of mm. detail obi-wan's early padawan ship master and apprentice yes was very much in my mind yeah you see qui-gon kind of avoiding dealing with the combination of responsibility and trauma that came with having a young man that he loved and raised turning away and he thought dying and then actively trying to kill Obi-Wan and all sorts of st- stuff like Xanatos is like his influence on Qui-Gon I don't know how much of it we actually see in Phantom Menace because I don't know that Xanatos as a character existed yet right but I feel like we could in hindsight kind of insert him there and see that in some of the ways that Qui-Gon acts and I, that's my argument for why he's a nine <laughs> wing eight so I put him at a five <gasps> the investigator so the reason I chose that was because, well, there's several key phrases here to me. They, they desire to possess knowledge, understand their environment. They search, ask, delve into things with depth. They do not accept received, I think it says received, opinions or doctrines. They need to mm. test the truth on their own. And then they take time to observe, contemplate. And I love this last one. They're drawn to the unusual, overlooked, secret, and the unthinkable. Okay, I did had like five was one of those things I had written down for Qui Gon <laughs> that I had like debated whether it fit with him or not. So, oh, actually, I even wrote I wrote so many notes about him. I just saw there's more on the bottom of keep my going, page. Keep going. But, um, I don't want to just read off a page. It's kind of boring. That's not a discussion. It's just interesting. Like he said, it does not depend on social validation. And I thought about that moment in front of the council when he's like, I'm training this kid. Yeah. You know, and he didn't really care. It's not that he doesn't care. He's just a seeker of truth. And he cares more about that truth than the people around him. Which I will say that was part of my like debate over the five versus nine. And I did go with nine wing eight, but like five was close. I couldn't tell you what wing I think he is, but I do think some of that like doing what's right regardless plays into also the aspect. You can tell I love Obi-Wan where he's ready to like just kind of be like, yeah, he's ready. Make him take the test so I can train Anakin. And, you know, there we see that little interaction between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan like on a balcony overlooking Coruscant and, you know, Qui-Gon is very sincere, I think, and, like, I do truly believe we're ready, and Obi-Wan's like, I feel like I am, and he's like, I think you are, and it'd be easy to see Qui-Gon as being unfeeling in that moment, but for all that I have very complicated thoughts about that man, I do think he didn't intend that to be casting off Obi-Wan, he's just really focused on Anakin deserves Mm -hmm. and needs to be trained. Right. Another part of that that I found really interesting because it plays right into what you were just saying with your evaluation of Qui-Gon. On the website I was on, they have a a part where they talk about if you're a healthy Mm -hmm. number, whatever, these are the behaviors you exhibit, if you're average or if you're unhealthy. In the average category, it says they become increasingly detached and preoccupied with visions and interpretations rather than reality. Which is exactly what you were saying, too. Like, that detachment that he's, for better or for worse, I'm not 
placing a judgment on mm-hmm. it. Um, but there is a certain, you just watch it, and there's a certain detachment that he has towards you know, Kenobi and, you know, different yes. things. And it's just interesting to me in his pursuit of truth that sometimes he kind of forgot the people around him a little bit. Yes. Which, you know what, I... The more, like, you speak, the more I'm like, maybe he's not a nine. Um, Because, yeah, I think a lot of that is, a lot of his behaviors that we see specifically in Phantom Menace is very five. Um, And I think uh, one of the things that, like, fives are drained by tends to be, like, the micromanaging or, like, constant supervision or people, like just giving them more information than they feel like is necessary. And I think we kind of see that with Qui-Gon where he like, he just wants Jar Jar out of there. He does not care. Like he's like, I don't, he doesn't even face him. He's like, this is not even like in my mind, a good deed. Like this is, I saved your life. Move on. And Jar Jar's trying to be like, no, you've saved my life twice. Now you've got it. Like I have to like serve you kind of thing. And Qui-Gon is very much like, I, have, I want nothing to do with you until Jar Jar becomes useful to him, mm-hmm. which I think fits way better into the five than the nine. So There's I'm changing point. that in my notes. <laughs> yes, I succeeded. No, you it's did. really not about that. But it is always interesting to me in the discussion of Qui-Gon. Everyone loves him and there's a lot to love about well, him. I wouldn't say everyone loves him. Some Obi-Wan Kenobi stands okay. are very anti-Qui-Gon depending on what books they have and haven't read. <laughs> And I haven't read a few of the key ones yet. I have read Master and Apprentice, but it has been a hot minute. Um, but I, I was watching, when I was re-watching for this podcast, and he was interacting with Jar Jar, I'm like, this is the man that everybody holds up as the shining example of the Jedi way. And I'm not saying he wasn't a great Jedi. Mm-hmm. Everyone brings their talents and themselves to the role and bring, you know, they they lift up the, mm-hmm. with their the ways that they can. But I'm like, Jar Jar is still a sentient yeah. living being and he treats him like trash. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the thing is that like the a huge part of what I think the general populace who like Star Wars like casually doesn't realize too is how big the Jedi as an organization was because mm-hmm. what we are exposed to in the movies and the TV shows is the Jedi Knight which is a very small percentage of the actual Jedi Order as a whole. They're not the only group of Force sensitives in the galaxy either. Like, there's other, you know, practices, so to speak. Right. Um, And there's, like, even within, like, the Padawans that, like, Obi-Wan and then when it's his turn, Anakin come into exposure with, there's so many tracks other than being a consular. But, like, Qui-Gon has a reputation as being... A maverick to an extent right and like not following anyone's things and when you remember that his tra- uh training master was count dooku yeah right it's right. kind of like you know i might ha- have gone the other way too if i was <laughs> trained by someone like dooku so mm-hmm. you get a lot more of that in the high republic yes yeah. it, and jetta has yes it's interesting there's a lot um all right that is our discussion of Qui-Gon, I suppose, and our complicated feelings towards yeah. him. So who like is a, up I next? would happily marry Qui-Gon, but also I wouldn't mind punching him in the face. <laughs> Isn't that every marriage, though? No. Um, Just, I, I wouldn't know. know. <laughs> and I'm divorced, so I probably can't speak. <laughs> we're, the, we're the wrong crowd. 
Um, Actually, I really hope people are not punching their spouses. I yeah, hope that there's a loving, loving, good communication, yeah. Yeah. strong, thriving relationships. Well, okay, so speaking of relationships that are strong, let's talk about Maul next. Oh, Darth yes. Maul. I, okay, this, he is an interesting character to me. Be, partially because if we're looking at solely the Phantom Menace and pretending nothing else in Star Wars yeah, exists. Yeah, I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not truly important. With him in particular, yes. I could not, we well, do not get enough of I him. have such, like, vivid memories of, like, the legitimate, like, fear and just kind of, not despair, but, like, that beginning, like, gnawing sensation of something's going to go wrong mm-hmm. when I, like, was first getting into Star, like, watching it as a child. Like, Maul, and some of that's definitely, like, the music score of the film that kind of helps influence those emotions. But, like, Maul is so symbolic in that first movie that he almost doesn't exist as a character because there's so much symbolism behind him. Yes. And so you kind of have to have the TV shows to think of him as a person. And there's so much I don't know about him that I vaguely am aware of. Like, his brother, Savage, Mm -hmm. and is it Feral? Feral? I I'm Savage oh. is pronounced weird. Savage oppressed. Yeah, so I don't know if Farrell's pronounced weird either. But <laughs> and you know, he was born on Dathomir and raised by the Night Witches, which have their own very interesting dynamic as far as like a culture goes of force sensitives who are in the dark side. But then he mm-hmm. was also essentially kidnapped by Palpatine very young mm-hmm. and trained as a Sith, which basically means raised by torture yes. for forever. And yes. so I chose seven. Because um, I think a lot of that passion he has fits a seven. It just, we tend to think of the way we describe like these personality tests. They're trying to be positive and I think they can also be negative. And I think Absolutely. Maul fits that perfectly. And more specifically, I said he's a seven wing eight because they tend yeah. to be... Uh, very determined and protective in their behavior and we see that in the Clone Wars the way he with Savage, with Savage. Mm-hmm. because characters like Maul typically you don't see a protectiveness and then even in Rebels he kind of almost feels like this sense of ownership and it's a little mocking over Ezra but he's still he does it's an that is an interesting oh, dynamic. It's Whoa. so cool it's so fascinating. So interesting. Because he's half trying to like make a point and butt Kanan out. Like, he's partially trying, like, getting in Ezra's business because he is just trying to be a thorn in Kanan and Hera's But I also side. think there's a genuine... Care for Ezra. Care for Ezra, yes. Yeah. I really, I truly do. And, mm-hmm. like, that's the thing with Maul is, you know, I love this... I don't know if... I guess it's a meme, right, of how, like he calls Ahsoka Lady Tano yes. in all his inter- and then it's like Kenobi the bastard right? Like, <laughs> right. like he the way Maul as we see interact with certain characters he's not as one dimensional as you might expect based mm-hmm. off of like the limited interaction you get in Phantom Menace mm-hmm. and I think some of that's you know the insanity that he kind of deals with <laughs> uh, you know his personal struggle <laughs> but I do think that like a seven wing gate which is called the opportunist really fits him especially when you look at everything that happens after he gets bisected <laughs> after he's killed quotations <laughs> So, um, yeah, I put him as an eight. Okay. So, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> an eight is uh, the challenger. Their greatest fear is being controlled by others, which he was for most of his yeah. life. His greatest desire then is that they control their own life and fate. And mm. you, I 
believe you see that most strongly when he sets up his um, underworld collective. What in yes. the? Oh my gosh! Why? Why do words escape Something me? Something Suns, right? But is it? It's not the Shadow Collective. That was Mandalorian. Oh my heavens! Is I it? am so sorry for people who are screaming at me right now. I promise I know this on a regular day. You put a microphone in front of me, mm-hmm. and it's just like Phew. it's okay because I don't know this on a regular day. So <laughs> it's his crime syndicate that yes. you see at the end of Solo, mm-hmm. and then more in Rebels. No, 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 no. Season seven of Clone Wars, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, that is his way. I it's evidence of his desire to control his own life, his own fate, yes. and become his own empire out of himself. So. Um, he does. And so eights do have a physical and psych- psychological capacity to persuade followers. And you have to have that in order mm-hmm. to create this empire that you want to build. And he was doing a really good job of I it, mean, too. He temporarily succeeded in taking mm-hmm. over Mandalore. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, the Mandalorians. It's the Maldalorians. <laughs> I've never I, heard that before. <laughs> I, I stole it. It's not me. <laughs> but yes, the Maldalorians. Um, and even with Ezra. He, mm-hmm. There was a persuasiveness to his argument there. Yeah. But then the unhealthy behaviors, well, actually before that, beneath his tough facade is vulnerability. Yes. And you just, oh, that's yeah. irrefutable. I mean, yeah. you just, you see that, especially with Savage. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that arc right there is key to understanding Maul. I More than any other agree. arc. And I think the scene, I'm thinking of, I think this is Clone Wars season seven when they're on the planet Felucia, uh, where Hondo Anaka's base is and how Maul and Savage had like kind of taken over the pirates like mm-hmm. Timberlane, but Obi Wan shows mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and he's there with the other Jedi, Adi Galia, or I can never remember how to say her name. But like Savage kills her and you see Obi Wan freak out and um he like gets Savage and Maul to follow him into the tunnels while Hondo's people go the other way. And there's this moment where Obi-Wan, like, purposely is attacking Savage's knee, like, weakening one of mm-hmm. his knees. Mm-hmm. And Maul, like, Obi-Wan's able to slice off one of Savage's arms, which, what is uh-huh. with Obi-Wan and dismemberment? Anyway. Star Wars. <laughs> and Maul does not chase Obi-Wan. Right, which you would think from some of his other things that mm-hmm. he's something he'd be prone to doing, mm-hmm. that he might, in his rage, leave his brother behind. But we never see him do that. Mm-hmm. Like when he, oh, is it Rotatok? Is that the planet? When like Maul basically is like, "Come get me, otherwise I'm gonna keep killing people." And Obi Wan shows up, and Savage is there, and uh, Ventress shows up to help Obi Wan escape. And oh, yes, Savage and Maul, like Maul, does not leave his brother hanging, and that's something that. I think people who aren't familiar with some of the non-movie uh, mm-hmm. canon content mm-hmm. would be potentially surprised by. Absolutely. And then the last note I had for him, too, is that the unhealthy behaviors are dictatorial, immoral, violent, delusional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the above. My favorite, though, is this proclivity to megalomania. <laughs> and that they would rather destroy everything than surrender. Raise yes. it to the ground. If I can't have it, no one will. I mean, that's Maul with Ezra to a T. Like, <laughs> I feel like Maul and Rebels, and then specifically at, like, how he's hunting Kenobi as well in Rebels, we see that there really clearly. Mm-hmm. I, I had fun diving into Maul. I, I, that was the one where I truly could not stick with. Just 
Venom, and it's because you don't. He's just yeah. um, you don't get enough of a person out of him. He's uh, Palpatine's attack dog, you know yeah. that, and that's it. But he's actually way, way more than that. When he's his own person. When he's his own person. Which I do like your interpretation of him as an eight, so. Mm-hmm. Well, eight, nine, or no, seven. You said seven? Yeah, I said seven wing eight, they're, but you're... They're right there. He's either a seven <laughs> yeah. wing eight or an yeah. eight wing seven, and right. I'm happy with either one. <laughs> right, right. All righty, who's next? Okay, well, on my list, I've got two options left. Do you want to do oh. Obi-Wan Kenobi or Jar Jar Binks? Let's do Kenobi. Okay, I am. I love Obi-Wan Kenobi yes. so much, in case you cannot tell. <laughs> Okay, what did you put him as? I put him... I struggled so hard, and I was doing this... (laughs) My ADHD came into play, doing this last night, procrastinated it, and I was so tired. So at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of thinking about this. I don't think I'm dead on, but I'm just going to go with it, and we will have the discussion. I put him as a one with the reformer. Yes. Oh my gosh! I put him as a one as well. <laughs> the expert agrees with me, people. <laughs> Maybe I need to tap into that exhaustion, ADHD, procrastination, exhaustion more often. <laughs> no, actually, no. I do it a lot. <laughs> I don't think more often is called for. <laughs> Probably not. But Obi-Wan would know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I loved... Um, there's a lot of key phrases in here. And at the very end, I could tell they were the last few that I saw because I had shoved them in. Mm-hmm. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious. Yes. I loved the word fastidious for Kenobi. Yes. <laughs> and they have such a strong innate desire to be fair, to be accurate, yep. and to have order. And, mm-hmm. you know, not every Jedi is like that. We see that. We know mm-hmm. that. But Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of held up in Anakin's eyes especially, but in general, as like a paragon and as like the virtuous, the ultimate jedi and like so many people like uh yoda and mace windu referred to him as such you know and obi-wan is kind of known especially in his adult years like when he's in his like clone wars i guess era as like the idealistic jedi right and that's part of that desire for integrity and balance striving for higher values even at personal sacrifice Oh, and I really liked this too. Think about the they think about the consequences and how to keep from acting contrary to convictions. Yes. So um just Ooh, and another one I loved. Oh, I loved this one too. They have a higher their higher purpose makes them teachers and witnesses to truth. Which you see it in the Kenobi series too, how he just kinda can't help not teaching and uplifting people yes whether it's leia or the other people who are just trying to get safety or part of the rebellion like that's just kind of who he is even when he has been beaten down by trauma and exhaustion and the many many climate related issues on tatooine for a decade right Mm -hmm. um something else too i like i put him as not just a one but a one wing nine is that ones in general have a hard time with injustice and unfairness mm-hmm. and things being kind of out of control and they like you said work to really really hard to not make choices that are like selfish or like impurely motivated and i think of again outside of the movies and tv yeah. shows so bridging branching out from i'm about to canon, as well <laughs> but um in his early padawan years when he uh is on the planet Melita 
I've only ever read it, never said it, but still haven't read it. So I'm gonna let it down. But basically, the short version of the story is is that he and Qui Gon are assigned to go rescue another Jedi Knight who was sent to help negotiate peace between the Civil War on this planet, and she gets captured and injured. And so their mission is to get her and get out. But there's a third faction, which is the children, and Obi Wan is like, I can't leave them because they're trying to end this war and their parents are literally killing them on both sides. And Qui-Gon essentially is like, it is your choice to either like stay a member of the Jedi Order and come with me or no longer be a Jedi and stay here. And so, you know, there's that conflict and Obi-Wan ends up choosing to stay there. Qui-Gon eventually comes back and there's a ton and ton of turmoil and other stuff that happens with that. But he ultimately chose to like temporarily leave the Jedi Order for the purpose of helping people. Which is funny because I see Ahsoka in that too. Mm-hmm. When she left, he is her fingerprints. He's like her unofficial Padawan and exactly. being Anakin's Padawan. Exactly. And so like what I like about Obi-Wan though is that for all he's kind of upheld as the perfect Jedi, he's not because there's right. no such thing. Right. And some weaknesses that type 1s tend to have are being perfectionists and being mm-hmm. high, highly critical of themselves and others. And that can turn into becoming obsessive or self-righteous. And I think mm-hmm. we not only see that in him a little bit, and especially how he is in Revenge of the Sith, uh, when he's like kind of nitpicking everything with Anakin, but also in Phantom Menace when he's constantly like, Qui-Gon, this isn't right. Qui-Gon, are you sure about this? Um, but from Anakin's perspective, and I think unintentionally like these kind of inherent flaws in obi-wan's being a type one kind of opens the door for for some of palpatine's manipulations to actually take root because they kind of play in that criticalness of like constantly praising anakin because obi-wan wasn't not verbally in a way that anakin wanted and felt like he needed right i was thinking um going back a little bit i have read and i I know this book is not universally loved, but it is loved by me, mm-hmm. the book Kenobi. And it is not canon, although it was written, as far as I remember hearing, right before Disney bought out and redid everything. And so um, it's canon adjacent, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I will shoehorn it in to canon, and I don't actually think it's that hard to do even with the series. But in that book, he knows he's on Tatooine to see over to watch over luke make sure everything that he stays safe he's his bodyguard he's his teacher if he'd been allowed to be all those kinds of things but he gets distracted on the way helping a community in need and he just couldn't help him he tried he tried his hardest because he knew he could blow his cover yeah and he just couldn't let go of meeting a great need when he saw it Mm mm-hmm and so that just, you know, he had to stick to his convictions. Which I were in conflict for him at that point, too, mm-hmm. because what is it that the Inquisitors say that the Jedi hunt themselves? Yes. Right? And yes. Obi-Wan's yes. a prime example of that, that he kind of, you know, and it's how so many of the other Jedi do get caught post-Order 66, mm-hmm. is they kind of do, they can't not help someone in need. It's part of that inherently empathetic nature they have as being so highly trained force sensitive. But then with obi-wan specifically right you have that conflict of his what he feels like is his duty to the greater good but also well is taking care of luke even more important more influential in the greater good Mm -hmm. and so i think in the original star wars movies right when we have old ben kenobi and 
his everything that happens leading up to the Death Star and uh, just to think of how he went from what we see at the end of the Clone Wars to that and just knowing that there was this very oh I kind of lost my train of thought because I love this man and I'm just like not I'm not drooling but I'm kind of like ah oh, sighing but I'm going to change gears a little. So the soundtrack to the Kenobi show that was mm-hmm. on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the theme for it because there's this, after you get through the initial French horn, like opening few bars, there's almost this militaristic marching element to the music before it then kind of fades into something akin to the force theme that is kind of mm-hmm. throughout the rest of Star Wars. Right. And I always thought of that as like very representative and symbolic of Obi-Wan's rigidness that we get and that tightly clinging to the Jedi code. And we see that even in The Phantom Menace where he doesn't approve of like Anakin's presence at first and how Qui-Gon acquired Anakin because he acquired this child. <laughs> he won him in a bet. <laughs> um, all other things aside, like that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so Obi-Wan is then also at the same time, he's willing to go against the cam- council in order to train Anakin. Because that is what Qui-Gon asked of him. So for like his rigidness at times changes loyalty to what he thinks is right. But it's just that most of the time up in the first 30 years of his life or so that that loyalty is to the Jedi code and to the Jedi council. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's I think that's why he struggles on tattooing because he's so adrift. But I could yes. I could talk about Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi for forever. He's, I identify with a lot of his characteristics same and so he is very beloved to me as well um he's one of those characters where i don't know if i want to be more like him or if i'd want to marry him <laughs> uh, both yes all, both <laughs> why choose it's like do that's... you want dark chocolate or milk chocolate mm, I mean... see i only like dark chocolate though that's not oh, okay a, that's not a hard, hard choice for me at all <laughs> i eat all chocolate um all right so yes yeah, so we could probably both we wax poetic on yeah. Kenobi I just um, I'm too much of a people pleaser to be a one I'm a six mm. but I see a lot of those one yes. characteristics in myself and in ways like I am a very very much a rule follower mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's not always a popular thing to be nope I and, mean we're both teachers and involved in education and I think <laughs> the better teachers are the ones who are but at the same time, to be a good rule follower, you have to be able to understand the spirit of a law as well as the letter of it in order mm-hmm. to know when to bend those things. Right, right, which I struggle with. And I feel like there are times where Kenobi has as well. And so mm-hmm. I just really appreciate a positive representation of somebody who's like me. Yes. When I don't see that very often. Is it? Is it? Is he truly a positive representation, though, when he is destined for infinite sadness? Because that, I forget, I couldn't tell you, actually, if you That's give me like two question. seconds, <laughs> I have this quote saved on my phone somewhere about him that's basically like talking at, oh, I don't Positive in it. that he is highly respected, regarded, like you're saying, the best of us type of a thing. Um, and there's my other favorite Jedi are often in the opposite camp where they are more free thinkers and they're the Jedi I want to be more like. So there is a, a balance, like you said, spirit of the law, yes. letter of the law, all of that. I just like seeing it's representation, but not in the way that we typically mean representation. That's true. That is so, very true. Um, I'm 
still trying to find this quote because it's a <laughs> because it's this oh <laughs> I have completely off desk but uh there's this online wallpaper website and they have one that's just picture like just pictures this, of wallpaper. it's a silhouette of obi-wan kenobi's face <laughs> and that's the wallpaper is his face repeating but my dad won't let me get it and i want it so bad i say that as if i'm not a grown adult who can buy my own wallpaper anyway okay i found the quote here's the quote about him this is from eddie curtis and this was um on kenobi and he said, I think the real tragedy of Obi-Wan was that he deserved better. He played by the rules, always strived to be better, to be kinder, to be wiser, and he never let his friends down. And he lost everything he loved anyway. The greatest Jedi who ever lived, the man who sacrificed all that he had, all for a reward of nothing. And that, like, is so... <laughs> it hits me hard personally, because I also identify really personally I say, I feel that him. deeply. I think about the things that have happened in my life where... I yeah. have followed the rules and still experienced great, deep despair exactly. and sadness, whereas other people seem to get everything that I've ever wanted. You know? so, mm-hmm. ah. But and it's okay, because yeah. there's happiness in my life, too. I'm... Yeah, well, and that's, but that's the thing, is so, that there's happiness in Obi-Wan's life, and he doesn't die sad. He doesn't no, die afraid. No, he figures it out. He does, but he's still figuring things out in Phantom Menace because he's canonically oh, yes. only 25 years old. Right. And I'm currently 26, closer mm. to 27. 22 uh, <laughs> but i remember like when i was 25 and th- i think that was the year kind of was coming yeah or huh. it was around that time is when i was 25 either turn 25 or turn 26 i remember thinking wow i could not be raising a child right now like i work with children but i could not be like a sole guardian for one especially one like anakin who not only has a lot of pressure from external sources but also has so many internal things to take care of so i'm like okay like that is a feat that I don't know that I would be capable of beyond like unless I was in a situation where I had to be Mm -hmm. so anyway that's Obi-Wan love that man yes waxing eloquent and the last one we chose we I declined Anakin for the set because he is a child he is not a fully formed person yet and I thought that I mean I love doing this and I see more of these happening in the future and I figured he would be much better suited to either movie two or actually two and three and you can contrast the two or whatever Mm -hmm. so it's just so many thoughts on that (laughs) it's a little too early to uh, get into Anakin just yet he's he's still developing himself as a person but you know who's an adult so (laughs) instead we went with Jar Jar oh my lord Here's the thing with Jar Jar Binks. Uh, I do not understand people's hate for mm-hmm. him, but at the same time, he's so annoying. He's so so I, I don't fully get it because I don't think I really hate much. I can get annoyed easily, but I don't think I hate anything. But Jar Jar Binks is annoying. He and is annoying. my favorite fan theory is that he was a Sith. Yes. And I know it is not accurate and it's not true, but it makes me cackle to think (laughs) about. But he... I don't... There's... You know, we say sometimes in education when we're talking about some students and trying to be tactful, there's an elevator, but it doesn't go all the way up. (laughs) And I think with Jar Jar, his elevator's not even trying to go up. Like, he's got an elevator and it's moving, but it's not in the right direction. (laughs) He's on the... um 
the moving sidewalk yep, instead the human of conveyor the, uh, <laughs> the elevator. Yep. And, yeah, and it's not a Gungan thing. We see other right. Gungan characters who don't have the same processing issues as because Jar Jar. I'm fairly new to this, and I, I don't typically rewatch things very often because there's just so much content out there that I don't have the time. Uh-huh. So watching this one again, truly only the second time with fan eyes, uh-huh. that and through the eyes of personality typing... That really struck me that every other Gungan was normal. Yeah. What well, what again, lottery did he lose? <laughs> I don't know, but he, he they meet him because he's been banished, so he's just kind of chilling outside of his natural habitat, like literally. And then he's about to die, and he like this random person shows up. He doesn't even really n- seem to know or recognize what a Jedi is, and the Gungan society seems very insular and mm-hmm. isolationist, Absolutely. right? And so that makes sense because it's a big galaxy, and there's only so many Jedi. But I don't know. It's their society also seems to not be a meritocracy at the same time. And so he, because he ends up by the end of the movie being appointed general just because he was in the right place at the right time. And that was clearly a mistake. Like I remember so much stress as a child when I was first getting into the movies and the whole thing with the blue glowing bomb orbs things and how he's like, "Ah!" and then he's like hanging on top of the tank as it's like it's hilarious it's beautiful comedy um but and that is so stressful that is what i have to remind myself he is for the kids you know what that's so true he's not meant for me he's meant for the kids now that you say that yeah okay and i think about my students one in particular um who just has who um it's elementary so younger Mm -hmm. i have I have successfully brainwashed him into the Star Wars fandom and his mom and I will talk about it sometimes and how he now just is always asking to watch the movies and we actually are reading the New Hope comic book together and just um, I think about him in Mm -hmm. particular. He's the one I imagine watching this movie thinking this kid will love Jar Jar when he gets to this movie as long as he watches it in the next year or two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you know what I teach middle school right now and specifically seventh grade so they're twelve turning thirteen and I know that some of my students they would never like Jar Jar in real life but he does provide some of that levity that the movie needs in order for that younger audience to really be able to handle it I think I don't think like trade disputes and blockades and the Senate is going to pull them in I know I, so yeah. it really needs a Jar Jar for the next exactly. generation exactly which is a really good point and as far as personality types go he's I think he's a simple character yes in that is. regard so I said he was a six specifically. oh no I'm a six hey <laughs> no 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 I'm not saying you're simple no backtrack no. backtrack delete this part <laughs> I actually thought about a six because of the people pleasing aspect. Yes, and I said he's a six Mm -hmm. wing five because six is like to be secure and through that they seek loyalty with other people. Yes. And his immediate lashing onto Qui-Gon and then as he kind of feels a little more secure in himself and then we see him in the later movies as part of the Naboo delegation, right? I do think that's something he gains but like he went through that fear that sixes have which is to lose their support and stability Mm -hmm. because he's been kicked out of his very predictable society because which the gungan society seems to be like a very cut and dry like these are like it might not seem like it to us as outsiders but it seems pretty clear like this is how it works here 
And so I said specifically six wing five because the five element, right, brings in some of those aspects that Jar Jar is not fully a six, you know, with because he... He's a team player in the sense that he doesn't like to be alone. Mm -hmm. And from what we see of him in the Phantom Menace, I do think he does do well on his own if he knows he has that support. If that makes sense. Yes. And I don't know that that you agree with that or not, but that's kind of how I see him as like someone who's capable if they feel like they have that support and they have that confidence. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes because, sense like, to me. Padme trusts him to leave him. Which... Did Padme trust him or was she desperate? Yes. <laughs> this is Padme, remember? It's a bit of both. Uh, I had him as a seven, which is the enthusiast. I felt like that was maybe low-hanging fruit for okay. him. Um, he is... It says they're enthusiastic about everything that catches their attention. And... We are working with a fairly flat character here. That's true. So I thought at its most basic um, showing of this characteristic, that's not the word I want, but we'll go with it. The way you see it most obviously to me was his just fascination with eating everything in sight. Captures his attention. He's going to eat it. Okay. (laughs) Um, Which I see that as someone who has lost their stability and it could potentially be a food insecurity. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know. And actually, his uh, seventh greatest desire, well, their greatest fear is deprivation and pain. That's fair. That's and very fair. desires to have their needs fulfilled. So it just plays right into that. And he doesn't like being in pain specifically. We no. see that yes. in the Phantom Menace. Yes. It says, now some of these things, they don't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't. There's curious. I do think he's curious. Uh, is but... he, does he... Here's my question. Mm. Is he intelligent enough to be what we define as curious? You know what? As I said that and as you went, hmm, I thought, hmm, do I though? Do I really? Curious isn't the word I would use to describe Jar Jar because I feel like there's an intentionality and like a yearning that curiosity carries with it that I don't know that he has. I think he's just kind of existing and he's just kind of happy to be there. So. So it's funny because the next word is optimistic. And I was like, eh, he's generally he's happy. very pessimistic, But I, would I wouldn't argue, call actually. him optimistic. Yeah. So, I mean, there's even within my own, I wrote anti-notes with my pro-notes. You, you included <laughs> the counter-argument. So, if you're my um, student and you hear that counter-argument, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> but I really, really, what really got me was the evidence. Oh, I bet that's the word I was looking for, evidence, of unhealthy sevens is impulsive and infantile mm. <laughs> it's like okay which okay that is jar jar in comparison to the other gungans even yeah yeah which, i'm not saying it's a solid seven but those two words i'm like those fair. two words are solid that is fair i can take i can accept that so he's he's actually kind of a hard one for me to yeah determine he's there for comedic relief he's not really meant to be mm-hmm. a character to be to dive into necessarily which like i definitely avoided the things that would have weakened my own argument about him (laughs) being a six wing five because some of the strengths that they're listed as having are like being able to solve problems and have a passion (laughs) for knowledge i just didn't share those because i do think like some of the weaknesses like a struggle to control negative thinking that is him 
right? And mm-hmm. the yep. like when it yep. comes down to it, any personality test is never going to be perfect. No. And it's already so much more difficult when it's with characters, fictional characters. And I think, you know, in our attempt to be creative with who we discussed, we did yes. have to, like, we were kind of not quite scraping the bottom of the barrel, but, like, Jar Jar was a character who we knew would be kind of funny, but also not have as much depth to him, right? right? Whereas you and I both feel so much kinship with Obi-Wan, we probably could have analyzed him for forever because yeah. we feel that, like, intimate connection to him that we just don't have with Jar Jar. No, but he is fu- I really did want to discuss him just for the fun, fun element of it all. He's so funny. I, I think he, from, like, a narrative standpoint plays an important role in the story he kind of reminds me of rosencrantz and gilderstern in hamlet right and in that element of like he frankly doesn't have that important of a role like he does do some things that are crucial mm-hmm. but other people could have done better if they were in this right same place at the same time as him but like he's also there's almost this like doomed element to him because he can't control anything that happens i haven't personally read the book but have you read the books i think it's the aftermath trilogy i think of his end in life no he ends up as a street performing clown oh my (laughs) word i I was literally about to say i don't care i hope i got that right to know what happened to him because i care way more about other people in this story and even just saying that i kind of feel bad it's apparently a really tragic end to i'm not surprised life i'm not surprised though especially because you know that's part of what the empire did is palpatine specifically needed any positive jedi influence gone and so people who were associated with them who could not pivot and adapt had to be gone or discredited and that jar jar that's not necessarily hard to do but now i'm very curious about what similarities there are between him and rosencrantz and gilderstern that might be a passion project in a few years <laughs> she's gonna write an essay she's gonna yeah be famous for a book on it one day <laughs> Shakespeare and Lucas. Well, there's the Shakespeare versions of oh, I love of them. the movies. I don't like Shakespeare. I but actually I don't like, like Shakespeare, so I haven't read them. I here's <laughs> the thing: as someone who is an English major, major and is an English teacher, I despise Shakespeare. But I do think there's some really funny things when you blend Shakespeare with other things. Mm. You know, it's not well. Okay, very off topic. <laughs> Very often, a Marvel did a what if second season, mm-hmm. and they had apparently it's a whole comic line, but they did an episode of Marvel sixteen oh in the year sixteen oh two, like the Avengers, huh. and it was my favorite episode because it was a mixing of yeah, I don't know, like the language that you oh it just it cracked me up. So I would That's love, and this is not and it is not going to be a Star mm-hmm. Wars what if podcast. We're at an hour. We're going to wrap this up, <laughs> but I would love a what if. Star Wars Shakespearean themed. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something you get in things like Star Trek and the mm-hmm. comics like both Marvel and DC, but we don't really get that kind of playfulness in streamlined Star Wars content. If fans typically are responsible for making things like that. And I've seen some great like fan-made designs or and I've seen I've read some great fan-written things that are like putting characters in those more Shakespearean or like more modern settings and the characters and some some characters do better in them than others yeah Jar Jar would not work well in a modern setting I would argue but he would work 
wonderfully in a Shakespeare setting. I believe it. And I rest my peace. And with that, I think we should wrap it up. I agree. I think that's a great concluding comment. And I am so glad that you came on again. And I look forward to uh, future mm, episodes. I feel like you elevate the conversation every time. And I can just sit back and let you drive the bus, which... (laughs) is my happy place. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I like driving. Just maybe not buses. But I can drive this every once in a while. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going 